0: We have made it to Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. In our verse-by-verse study of this book of Galatians, I'd love for you to turn there with us tonight. And just let me give you a heads up. A very, very important question is answered in our text tonight, concerning living the Christian life. It's a very key principle that I want you to see. Lord, I pray that not only would we see this principle and understand it, but it would become a reality in our lives day by day. Lord, so many things are easy to understand with the head knowledge, but we fail to live that knowledge. and I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Show it so clearly to this beautiful body. My brothers and sisters, encourage them greatly tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who have been with us, you know that Paul's primary purpose in writing... The book of Galatians was defending the gospel of grace. Paul preached the gospel of grace. God loved the world. He gave his only begotten son, Jesus, who died on the cross for the sins of the world. Jesus has done everything to procure our salvation. He's done all of the work. And we are saved through faith in Christ alone. And we are under the grace of God. We don't get saved by good works. We don't get saved by keeping a law. We get saved through faith alone. And when we do that, we are in a grace system with God. That's Paul's message. Paul says the grace system is way better than the law system. In fact, the grace system has replaced the law system. And up to this point in the book, Paul has given no less than ten proofs of this concept. He's appealed to his own personal experience. Paul says, remember before I came to Christ, I was Mr. Law. He was the chief law man for the Jewish people. He never got saved by law. He got saved by grace when Jesus, by grace, revealed himself to Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul says, my life was transformed by grace, not law. Paul also speaks of his association with the other apostles, like Peter, James, and John. And though it was a rocky start in the early part of the church history, Paul says, eventually everyone in the early church believe that grace takes place of law. Paul even said to you Galatians, those of you who got saved in Galatia when I was there on my first missionary journey, I I preach you the gospel of grace. You receive Christ by faith. You were saved by faith. You were changed by grace, not by law. Paul goes on to teach how the very law itself teaches that grace is more important than law. And so Paul talks about Abraham's salvation. How was Abraham saved? He believed God and he was accounted as righteous. And Abraham is the prototype of all who get saved. Everyone who's truly gets saved gets saved in the same way that Abraham got saved through faith, period, not a keeping a law. He speaks to Habakkuk 2, verse 4. The justified ones by faith will live. They're saved. That's in the Old Testament. He takes us to a verse in the law that speaks of the law saying of itself that living under the law is a curse. Then he goes on to talk about what the whole purpose of the law is. The purpose of the law is to reveal True lawlessness in people to show in a formal way that sinners are lawbreakers. Even when you got laws on the books and it's clearly understood, they still fail. The purpose of the law was preparatory, to prepare people for faith. And then he gives a legal illustration. Living under the law is like living like a trust fund baby. You're a minor and you have no access To the inheritance, but living under grace, you're like the adult children in the family. And then last week we saw how he allegorized that whole story between Sarah and Isaac and Hagar and Ishmael. And under grace, we are children of promise, we are children of freedom, we are children of the supernatural birth. Now, why did Paul? Defend. Why did he go through all of this? Well, he was combating the false teachers that had gone into the Galatian church to teach them that they needed to keep the law of Moses. These Judaizers telling Christians who had placed their faith in Christ and were saved and everything was going well. They were telling those Christians that they needed to become Jewish. They were telling the Gentile guys that they needed to be circumcised. They were deceiving them into entering into a law system. And the sad thing is the Galatians were buying it. They were believing those legalists. They were falling away. And so Paul writes this letter, by the way, For the last 2,000 years in church history, there have been legalists trying to get Christians to fall from the gray system and go back to this law system. So after those 10 proofs, in our text tonight, you can sort of see Paul coming up with his personal appeal, and you can see The sadness or feel the sadness in his heart. Look what he says to them in verse 7. He says, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you. No, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind. He says to these Galatians, You were running so well. You started off through faith in Christ and living in grace, and you got stopped in your tracks. You allowed yourself to be persuaded by these false teachers. Verse 8 is so important. This persuasion does not come from him who calls you, Jesus didn't call you to that. Jesus didn't call you back to the law. He says, verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You've bought into just a little bit of falsehood. And I'll tell you what, falsehood and evil and sin is like leaven. It'll permeate through slowly but surely. Come back. Come back. Paul would say. Don't allow yourself to be under these legalistic teachings. And then look what he says to these false teachers. Look what he says about these false teachers. This is heavy duty, serious stuff. Verse 10. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no no other mind. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment. Whoever he is. And I brethren if I still preach circumcision. Why do I suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross is ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you. Would even cut themselves off. Paul says these legalists. These Judaizers. These ones that try to get Christians to live under a law. They shall bear God's judgment one day. Legalism is not friendly. The legalist is not someone that you should just embrace and welcome. No, Paul says the legalist is going to be judged. Anyone who would teach you that you have to come under a law system, you're going to be judged. And then in verse 12, whoa. He says, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Now, do you realize what Paul's saying? He's saying These people that are teaching that you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. I wish they would just cut themselves off. Yes, castrate themselves, mutilate themselves, emasculate themselves. Now you gotta say, Paul, come on, that's pushing the limit, isn't it? That sounds very vulgar. Why would Paul ever say something like that? Well, very important to understand the background here. There was a very prominent cult that was practiced by many in the region of Galatia, specifically a place called Phrygia. And this was worship of the false heathen goddess named Cybele. Many people, she was the goddess of fertility, um, sexuality, all of that. And a lot of people worship this pagan goddess. Well, the most devout priests and followers of that cult Attempted to please their pagan goddess through self-mutilation, castration, masculation. You know, when you worship a false god or false goddess, you can do the craziest of things. Who would do such a thing? These pagan priests did. By the way, you've got to wonder if the spirit of Cybele is still alive and active. As so many people in our culture now are mutilating themselves. In this gender transformation garbage. That could be Cybele. Cybele. The demons love it when human beings run themselves. So Paul is, I don't think, saying that he really wants them to go through with that. I think what Paul is saying is these legalists are on the same page as the pagan, heathen priests. So in other words, a legalist is just like a cult leader. No different than a pagan priest. I hope you understand how deadly legalism is. And how much you have to be on your guard for the legalist. I agree with Martin Luther who said, the most damnable and pernicious heresy that has ever plagued the mind of man. Was the idea that somehow he could make himself good enough. To deserve to live with an all holy God. That is heresy. Where you think I can be good enough to be saved. Or somebody says follow these rules and you'll be saved. It's heresy. So Paul says to those Christians. Those, those Christians. Come back to grace. Don't go back to this law living arrangement. Okay, so let's have an honest discussion tonight about the grace system and living under grace. And I think probably most of us in the room would probably believe that you are saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ. He's done all of it. And as Christians, we are Members of his grace system. We are children of grace. You know, there's been a big concern about that. Throughout church history. If you teach people that they're saved through faith alone and that they live in a grace system. People might take advantage of that grace and freedom. You might be preaching an easy Christianity. I've heard people say that. It's an easy Christianity. Where, hey, you're saved through faith alone. You're saved in the grace system. Is it possible to create people that say, okay, I can do whatever I want then. And lose grace, use grace as a license to sin? Use your freedom in Christ as a license to sin? I mean, you think, I got a free ride. And do you realize that that is a very big concern? That is a big problem teaching salvation through faith alone. And that we're all under grace. Because throughout church history, there have been false teachers that come along. And there have been Christians who have believed that, hey... I'm under grace. God doesn't care what I do. I can sleep with whoever I want. I can sin in any way I want. I don't have to do it. I'm licensed. I'm under grace. I've got my fire insurance. I know some Christians who have sort of lived their lives that way. Now, I, will, I would question whether they really understand grace. Because I think if you really understand grace and what God has done for you, you can't live that way. But what's the answer? What do you say to the critic who says, you teach an easy Christianity? Well, the legalist, like the Judaizer, says that's why you need law. You got to have law. You got to keep all those Christians in check. You got to keep your eye on them. You got to keep them under control. So you got to put Christians under a law system. So the Judaizers would say they need to be under the Mosaic law because that will keep them in line. And again, throughout 2,000 years of church history, there are churches, there are denominations that have set to impose upon the members of their congregation a law. Rules and regulations that you must keep because we've got to keep you in line. Some big names. John Calvin. Big name in, in, in church history. Do you know that John Calvin set up a Christian commune in Geneva, Switzerland? And served as the mayor or the governor of that. And they imposed a very strict, legalistic, Christian law system upon the people. Got to control them. You know, there's many denominations that would say, we're going to control you, so you better go to mass every week. You better go through all of our sacraments. And I know many, many, many congregations that have gone through things like that. Jimmy Swagger was a big-name preacher of the last century. And he's on record as saying, trusting in God's justifying and preserving grace alone, if you do that, you're going to end up living a life of sin before long and thus lose your salvation and be consigned to hell. I know of Christian congregations that tell their members, if you drink alcohol as a Christian, you're going to go to hell. If you dance, then you're going to go to hell. If you follow these laws, you're going to be great. But if you don't, man, your salvation is dependent upon it. See, that's law. That's law. And you can understand why some people want to do that because it controls. It controls. We can't trust these Christians in a a grace system, a freedom system. Hmm. Paul said, "Huh." law won't work you should never do that see paul taught that when you receive christ through faith alone and you were saved you became a brand new person you became a brand new creation in christ jesus you became born again You became a person who is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And in that miracle of conversion through faith in Christ, you become someone new. And you live life as a Christian according to a new power and with new motivations. And from a brand new perspective, Paul says, Christians shouldn't live under law. They should live as the new people that they've become through faith in Christ. So look what Paul says in verse 13. He says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through what? Love. Serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. So Paul says very clearly in verse 13. Do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. I preach grace and I preach freedom, I preach salvation through faith alone and when you put but don't you dare use your freedom and your grace as an opportunity for the flesh. Paul says you can't do that because you're different. You become born again. And as born again people, our lives are no longer navigated by law, they're navigated by love, supernatural love. So, as born again Christians filled with the Holy Spirit, our whole, the way we operate is in love. And for every born-again Christian, our top love in life should be God. We love him with everything that we have. And we love him because we're so grateful that he saved us. And we have a relationship with him. And every single thing we do as Christians comes from love unto God. You remember Jesus was asked, What's the greatest commandment? And remember, he answered. He said, The greatest commandment is to what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength. You know, as a Christian, you've come to know God and you love him. And you love him with your mind. That's why you read the Bible, that's why you study. Because you love him. You love him with all your heart. So he's, had, he's, he's got all of your affections. You love him with your strength. The word means also to love him with every breath. So you love him with everything you do. You love him with your work, with your school, with your dating, with your friendships, in your marriage, as a parent. Everything you do as a born-again Christian, you do out of love for him. You want to. I've always loved this story. I think it's such a beautiful illustration, the difference between love and law. A husband and a wife, they got married, but they didn't love each other. The man was very demanding, so much so that he prepared a list of rules and regulations for his wife to follow. He insisted that she... Read them over every day and obey them to the letter. Among other things, his do's and don'ts indicated such details as what time she had to get up in the morning, when his breakfast should be served, and how the housework should be done in detail. What a wonderful guy to be married to, don't you think? After several long years, the husband died. As time passed, the woman fell in love with another man, one who dearly loved her. Soon they were married. The husband did everything he could to make his new wife happy, continually showering her with tokens of his appreciation. One day, as she was cleaning the house, she found tucked away in a drawer the list of commands her first husband had drawn up for her. As she looked it over, it dawned on her that even though her present husband hadn't given her any kind of list, she was doing everything her first husband's list required anyway. She realized she was so devoted to this man that her deepest desire was to please him out of love, not obligation, not law. That's the difference. That's the difference. As Christians, we love God because he has loved us. And we live to please him. The New Testament says the commands of the Lord are not burdensome for his people. They're not burdensome. Because we love him. Now here's the other thing. When you become a born-again Christian, you are given a supernatural love for other people. 1 John chapter 7, beloved let us, or I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. If you know God, if you've been born of God, then you will love. We're even told in Romans chapter 5. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So, see, the thing is, is you, if, if you give your life to Jesus, you become this brand new person. And the supernatural love of God fills your heart for other people. And you love other people. Verse 13, do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's what we do. We serve one another as Christians. When we love people, we're keeping the whole law. Verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that great? Paul quotes from the law. The verse that sums up keeping the whole law. Again, you remember when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then he said, what's the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. And then what what did he say? All the law and the prophets hang on those two babies right there. That's it. So as a Christian... your mind, your activity, your thinking is not on keeping these little laws and telling other people, you need to keep these laws and I need to keep this law and I need to keep this system. You love God and you love people and you you do so supernaturally. And as you do that, you'll live a much better life than you ever could have lived trying to keep a law in your flesh. It's beautiful. And then look at verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the what? The law. One of the biggest miracles, one of the most amazing things about the Christian faith is that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are born again. And the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in your life. And that you become a temple of the Holy Spirit. That did not happen in the Old Testament law era. It only happens in the New Testament church age of grace. Now, I want you to just think about that. If you're a born again Christian here tonight, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside you. The Holy Spirit never leaves you, He's always with you, He's inside you. He is your Bible teacher, He's your personal tutor of God's Word. He's your counselor. He teaches you truth. He reminds you of truth. He guides you in all truth. He transforms you in practical ways day by day, producing the fruit of the Spirit in you. He empowers you to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And he empowers you to live a godly, holy life. We walk by the Spirit. In this passage, Paul describes the struggle that all of us as Christians have. When you give your life to Jesus, you are given a new nature. You're born again. But remember, your old nature is still hanging around, right? The sinful nature called the flesh. And we have this fight within us. The the flesh lusts against the Spirit. The Spirit Against the flesh and there's this battle and daily, daily we have to make this choice. Are we going to live by our flesh or are we going to live by the spirit? You know, living under a law is choosing to really go and live by the flesh. I'm going to fix it by keeping these laws. As Christians, we live... By the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit. Now, what does that mean to walk by the Spirit? It literally means to to depend upon the Holy Spirit of God year by year, month by month, week by week, day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. And as you depend upon Him, as you are aware of Him, You'll live a supernatural life. Paul says, don't go back to the law. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The Christian life is a supernatural life, it's not a religious life. Jesus didn't die for us to join a new religion. Jesus died so we could have a life-changing encounter with him, a relationship with God, based on love. And he fills us with his spirit, and he transforms us. That's the gospel message. That's how it works. That is how it worked with the Galatians. Paul had gone to them, taught them the gospel. They received Christ by faith. They received the Spirit. They experienced miracles in their lives. They were growing. They had joy. They had love. They had peace. Then the legalists came along and spoiled it. The legalists will do that to you. Your life is a walk with Jesus Christ. It works everywhere. I ran across the story of this guy, Ludwig Nemensen born in 1834, died in 1918. He was a missionary from Germany. And God called him into Indonesia, Sumatra. He literally spent 54 years of his life as a missionary there in Sumatra. In fact, he died there. When he died... The Batak Church, by the way, that's who he ministered to on the island of Samat, the Batak tribe people. And here's even a picture of the Batak tribe there. Spent 54 years there. When he died, the Batak Church had 34 pastors, 788 teacher preachers, and 180,000 members. In more than 500 local churches. 54 years. He is often referred to as. The apostle of the Batak. Let me share with you. How he got into that area. Batak and what he did. According to the story. He moved there. And he just spent two years there. Not really preaching anything. Just trying to get to know these tribes, trying to figure out what they were about. And he had a few discussions with their chief. And at the end of that time, the chief asked him if there was anything in the Christian religion that differed from the traditions of the Batak. In fact, the chief asked him this question. We, too, have laws that say we must not steal nor take our neighbor's wife nor bear false witness. The chief said, what's the difference between our law and your law? And this guy, I love it, he answered in a very quiet way and he said, My master, Jesus, gives the power to keep his laws. And the chief was startled. He says, Can you teach my people that? He asked. And then the missionary said, No, I can't but God can give them the power if they ask for it and listen to his word. So the missionary was permitted to stay another six months, during which time he taught just one thing, the power of God, the spirit of God. At the end of that time, the chief said, stay, your law is better than ours. Ours tells us what we ought to do, Your God says, come, I will walk with you and give you the strength to do the good thing. And that's how the gospel came into that region. And now, even later, there are 450,000 Badak Christians with their own independent church organizations. That's how the gospel works. That's how it works. It's based on God's power, not ours. We fall on our face before him and cry out for salvation and he in his mercy and grace saves us and then transforms us and puts his spirit in us. Gives us a relationship with him and we walk with him. That's how it's supposed to work. Let me ask you, is that how it's working in your life? Right now, Christian. You know, if this Christian faith has become dry, if it's become laborious, something's wrong Jesus said to the church in the earlier chapters of Revelation man you've lost your first love come back to your first love and I would say come back to your first love make sure Christianity in your life is about love your love for God and everything maybe as a Christian you've gone off and done your own thing and you're Backsliding and all of this, you've forgotten about the grace of God that's been poured out upon your life. What he has done for you. Grace is not something that you use as a license to sin. Grace is something that should motivate you. Man, look what God's done for me. I can't help but follow him and please him. Don't allow it. Don't let anybody take you to a place that's away from your love relationship with Christ and your dependence upon him and his power. Don't fall for it. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Lord, we thank you for the miracle of grace. We're, we're sunk without it. We're lost. We're helpless. We thank you that you died on the cross for our sins at great cost. And Lord, I want to thank you tonight for the promise of complete and total transformation. That you've changed us. You've made us brand new people. Powered by your Holy Spirit. I pray that we would live like that. Pray that we'd wake up every morning loving you with our minds. Our hearts, our strength. That our whole lives would be navigated by our love for you and love for others. And I pray that we would be dependent upon your spirit daily, hourly, moment by moment. May we never forget that you are with us. And do that work in our hearts. Lord, if there are some here tonight who have lost that joy, that peace, that excitement, that wonder. Bring them back. Bring them back to that. If you're here this evening or listening online and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's where it all starts. It is through grace, it is through faith in Christ that you are saved. Think of what he did let him forgive you. Become a child in his family. Just humble yourself in a, in a prayer, in, the, in humility, and in your heart. Just surrender. Say, Lord Jesus, I bow before you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you as Lord and Savior. Make me born again. Fill me with your spirit. Bring me into a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.